0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens, and it is an honor to be with you tonight. This is the show that respects your intelligence. We honor you as a citizen, and we cover the stories the mainstream media so often ignore, And we bring you the perspectives that the mainstream media and big tech so often work to silence. Well, one of those perspectives comes from Stephen K. Bannon. Steve, as you know, is the former White House chief strategist. You know that he's the host of the War Room right here on Real America's Voice. But if you didn't know it, you should remember he's also a veteran of the United States Navy. Steve, good evening, sir.
1: Eric, thanks for having me on the show.
0: Yeah, you bet, brother. So, Steve, two big things happening today. All right, first, you guys were talking about this on The War Room. Liz Cheney out in Wyoming right now. She's an establishment Republican, led this effort to impeach. President Trump, we've got people in Wyoming right now, patriotic Americans standing up to fight, saying that they want their leaders to fight for them, not for lobbyists, not for the elites. At the same time, you also have what's happening in the markets. Everybody's following this GameStop story. Huge rallies in stocks led by some small investors that took on and are beating some of the most powerful players on Wall Street. It's a major populist revolt. Steve, you're a student of history Put this in the context of American history. What's happening today?
1: This is a historic moment, and I think you're seeing the Trump uh, populist revolution go to a whole nother phase with this take on on, on Wall Street. Look, Eric, you know better than anybody what it takes for a populist to take on the establishment. You bet, brother. The odds are are stacked against you. You know the establishment controls the institutions. They control the media. They control all of it. Why, Why Wyoming and Wall Street are connected today is because here you have... In one regard, millennials and Gen Z, uh, these independent investors that have kind of collectively gotten together and are taking on, by really betting on American companies, right, going long the stocks, right? Look, the the concept of valuation, discussion of valuation aside, they are betting on these companies. The Wall Street hedge funds that they're really competing with and going head to head are shorting those stocks. In other words, they're betting those companies absolutely implode. And what's happened is because these little investors haven't given up this populace with, with crowdsourcing information and taking on the biggest institutions of Wall Street. Not only are they winning, they're blowing a hole through the Wall Street business model. I mean, one of the most prominent uh, hedge funds of Wall Street, Melvin Capital, lost $3.5 billion, I think it's reported, and had to be bailed out by Citadel, one of the most prominent and biggest hedge funds on Wall Street. And the reason Citadel had to do it is that the chain reaction of, right. the, of the portfolio of Melvin would have would have just decimated uh, decimated uh, Citadel. In addition, what you're seeing out out in Wyoming is calling into question the lobbyist community of Washington D.C., mm-hmm. the military contractors, the big fat cats that are all around Liz Cheney. She's number three in leadership in the Republican Party. She actually got up and she gave the most brutal statements about President Trump. They have already been used in like 30 second ads by the Democrats. McCarthy's in Marlago. Uh, talking to the president about what the House is doing going forward. The president, Noah McCarthy, had a discussion about why she's still in leadership. And you had Matt Gaetz, the firebrand populist from Florida, fly to Wyoming and out there today had a rally in Cheyenne. We had two people on there live, the populist press editor, Catherine O'Neill, who was in the was in the administration with, uh, with Trump, both out there to witness this. And they said these counties out there are not only passing these resolutions to censure Liz Cheney, they're now adding they want her to resign. Bottom line why this is historic, you're seeing a combination of kind of this prairie populism combined with small investors taking on Wall Street, the beating heart of the globalist system. And right now we're winning.
0: Well, and let's also, Steve, let's give people some hope, because I think what happened for so many people, especially especially after the election, was that American people, a lot of them, and legitimately, they felt like they'd been cheated, and there was this tendency towards despair. You and I have talked about this before. Despair is not an American value. You can lose a round, but you're not going to lose a fight. The American people might lose a battle, but we're not going to lose the war. And if you look back, I think sometimes you look back at history, it can give us a lot of confidence moving forward. There was a moment like this in the past. You referenced William Jennings Bryan on War Room. That was in 1896. And then President Roosevelt comes in in 1900, both of them this same wave. They were going to take on the big companies. They were going to take on the people who were oppressing average Americans. Are we at that same kind of moment in history now, Steve?
1: It's a brilliant point, Eric. But remember, uh, William Jennings Bryant lost, I think, three times for the presidency. Right. He's the guy that's run the most time. For the, and, but he triggered the awakening of people, the combination, remember, uh, back then, of, of, of kind of Christian values and another awakening about how we were actually running the country. Right. And it led to fundamental big changes that helped the working class people. And so I think now we're in a stage and this is what's so important about this populist revolt on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. These are millennials. and Remember, millennials, two thirds to, to a third voted against Trump. Right. Gen Z, I think, was even worse. But what they're seeing in the in the Biden administration is kind of this callousness. You know, there's been crickets in the Biden administration on two important things, uh, Eric, in the last 48 hours. Number one, she's throwdown. In Davos, told yeah. Joe Biden, and the Biden administration, about everything Trump had done in confrontation, right. no response. Now, on Wall Street, you've got Charlie Gasparino, CNBC, is saying that Biden's SEC is going to start investigating the people in Robinhood that are actually the little guys making the trade. They're, they're right. not going to investigate the hedge funds that are shorting these stocks and crushing these companies. Yeah. They're actually going to investigate. This is ripping the, the mask off of Biden. Biden ran as a populist up in, you know, he, Joe from Scranton. He's right. not Joe from Wilmington, Delaware, the corporate headquarters of the world. He actually goes to Scranton and says, I'm actually Joe from Scranton. I'm a poppy. Remember, he, he ripped off Navarro's economic nationalist speech. He gave two right. speeches up there. He's, he is a neoliberal neocon. He's totally phony. And I got to tell you, for all the MAGA nation, everybody listens to Real America's Voice. We're winning here. Yes. This administration is already jammed up in its first couple of days. Jen Psaki is a disaster on that podium, right. comp- uh, especially compared to Kayleigh. Uh We are winning. The amnesty bill is gone. These executive orders are being challenged by the frontline uh, attorney generals of the red states. What people have to do is become force multipliers. Got to watch your show mm-hmm. and pass and push it out. Watch our show, push it out. Become a force multiplier. As you know, uh, Eric, I think the watchword of the Navy SEALs is the only easy day was yesterday. Ooh, yeah. That's what it is in the MAGA movement. And you know this. The, what makes a SEAL is grit and determination and stick to itiveness. That's what it's going to take for MAGA Nation to turn this around as we work towards President Trump's second term.
0: Well, and I think what is so hopeful, too, is that people are turning it around. They're starting to see victory. When they when they saw big tech come out and try to silence the president and then silence conservatives, a lot of people wondered, are we going to win? Where's our voice? And what you're seeing in Wyoming is you're seeing that that voice is being heard loud and clear. And now it's happening on Wall Street with big consequences. I mean, I'm laughing. The idea that they're going to go after individual investors for buying a stock, for buying a stock, Steve. That's what they're gonna go after him for. And I think one of the things that's hopeful, I so appreciate the point that you made about Gen Z and about Gen X, is that people might might not remember 1896, cross of gold speech. William Jennings Bryan is making that at the Democratic National Convention. Teddy Roosevelt is is elected as a Republican president, but what was happening was there was a movement in the country. There was a sense among a lot of people that they had to stand up against the big corporate elites. And when, I believe, you see a guy like Joe Biden come in and kill the Keystone XL pipeline, I have to imagine that all the folks in the pipefitters union who saw them endorse Joe Biden and then he kills 11,000 jobs, that they're starting to see through that rhetoric that you talked about, they're starting to see the reality. Is that your view?
1: Yeah, listen, I think, you know, people are complaining that Biden's done 40 uh, executive orders. I have no problem with that. If, mm-hmm. if they come in and that organized hit 40 my issue is what what are the 40 what do the 40 represent if you look right. at some of the radical nature and i think between title IX, destroying girls sports with mm-hmm. the transgender eo uh doing mexico city which i think they did today which is making you know we can the government can fund abortions overseas if you look at the deportation of criminal aliens eric you and i've talked about this so yep. many times if you just look you know biden says and and the democrats if you watch cnn oh we want unity what they want is submission They want the MAGA movement to basically submit to a radical agenda, and this is not at the top line. If you see their their Senate confirmation, the top guys the State Department, et cetera, they're they're pretty bland. If you Mm -hmm. look at the next tier and the third tier, this is a radical agenda, more radical than Obama's. And what it is is a radical social agenda, but with the same neoliberal policies where they're mm-hmm. defending the vested financial and corporate interest. And now working-class MAGA has understood that everything that, that the Republican Party has done to assist corporations is blowing back on us. The tech oligarchs, big corporations yep. are actually putting pressure on people, open borders for more cheap labor, and actually now trying to suppress the voices of MAGA as MAGA stands up. Eric, this is a fourth turning. It's a historical point, a time, an historic flexion point. That's why everybody that said, hey, I wish I was around the Revolution, I wish I was around the Civil War, World War II, this is your moment. This is is one of the most important times in American history.
0: Yeah. And I think what's starting to happen now, what we are hearing from our viewers every single day is that, as you said, the mask has been ripped off. Some people say the Band-Aid has been ripped off and they see that the fight in the country isn't between Democrats and Republicans. It's between working people and the establishment. It's between patriotic Americans and the establishment. 30 seconds left, Steve. What are you looking at over the course of the next week? What do people need to keep their eye on?
1: Well, the, one of the biggest things, besides the revolt of the populace on Wall Street, is President Trump. We are, we are really begging the people around the president right now to please do a full trial. That the Democrats are unchained; they're going to come after him hard on this, and this, and this impeachment. They're going to try to make him an accessory to murder. He's got to step up. I believe strongly. Show the receipts of you won this election. Let's get in the let's get in the Senate floor and show the evidence in Wisconsin, Georgia, uh, Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Show the receipts. Get, make, that's where you make your stand, and it's going to totally be the inflection point. It's going to bury the Biden administration. Roger. I hope the president's lawyers do this. Steve,
0: 10 seconds left. Everybody who's big fans of War Room, but where else can they find you, sir?
1: Well, Real America's Voice. Just The be, easiest way to do it, just download the Real America app. Just uh, download our app, and that's the easiest Beautiful, way to get folks. everywhere. Rumbles all that, but the app is fantastic.
0: That's Stephen K. Bannon, Navy veteran. Glad to have him on.
2: Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery.
0: Welcome back to Action Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. This is the show that likes to bring you the perspectives that the mainstream media so often work to silence. Well, we're joined now by Terry Schilling. Terry was out co-hosting War Room today. He's the president of the American Principles Project. Terry, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks
3: for having me, Governor. love so, to be here.
0: So first, for our viewers who don't know yet, tell everybody a little bit about the American Principles Project.
3: What we do is very simple. Our mission is to organize families in politics to fight the enemies of the American way of life. I was telling a donor about this about a year and a half ago, and he said, oh, you're kind of like the NRA for families. And I said, that's the tagline. <laughs> so that, that's what we are. We're the NRA for families. Awesome. And I think one of
0: the things that you and I were talking about a little bit before the show, is that what we're seeing is that we're seeing families, we're seeing citizens, we're just talking about this this with Steve Bannon, people around the country standing up to fight against the Biden administration.
3: Are you seeing that? That's exactly yeah. what we're seeing. That Families really are not just the heart of the conservative movement. They've always been the heart of America. Yeah. It's been families that have fought in every single war. We've, we've offered up our kids. They fought for these battles of freedom. And, and unfortunately, we're seeing the progressives that have taken over all of our elite institutions, Institutions, they're starting to win some battles. And, and it's really important that we go back to basics, organize families against these progressive enemies of the American way of life, and get some wins for these people. Yeah, players. you know, one of the things
0: we're talking about, you're out there sometimes, you're co hosting War Room, you've got a voice, you're making sure that it's heard. One of the things that we're seeing that big tech and the left are trying to do is to stifle a lot of conservative voices. I think it was a huge wake up call to people when they saw these social media platforms come out and ban- ban the president of the United States, ban other conservatives, but for a long time what had been happening was that conservative sites like Breitbart and others had been dropping in the Google search rankings and people hadn't seen that. Now I think it's obvious what big tech is doing. What do we need to do? What do people need to know about what big tech is doing
3: and how do we fight back? First of all, we need to understand, we need to make sure that every American understands just how real and, and serious these threats are. Yeah. When big tech can not only censor people like me or my organization, but they can censor the President of the United States, yes. We've got major problems. No company, no corporation should be more powerful than the president of the United States, who was elected by the American people, right? He's symbolic of the American people and our power. Um, So that's number one. But number two is we need to get, conservatives need to get over their fear of using government to enact justice. Hmm. As conservatives, we tend to shy away from big government solutions, but we have to remember that it is important to break up monopolies and so we need to look at a multitude of solutions that have been brought forth my organization american principles project has been working on reforming section 230. Mm -hmm. we've been looking at some antitrust solutions to this problem but we really need to hone in on big tech you know i I was on a conference call the other day and and these people were these donors were talking about building a new social media platform and they said it would cost around five billion dollars no. no, no, no! Don't right. spend five billion dollars. Right. Let's force these big tech companies to live by the First Amendment. Yes. They're using their power to cast out viewpoints like ours, normal viewpoints that say that boys are boys and girls are girls, and they shouldn't be in each other's sports. They're, they want to censor us and silence us, and, and and we have to put a stop to it. Yeah, and I think one
0: of the things that's important to recognize is that this has happened before in American history. I was just talking with Steve Bannon about what was happening when President Roosevelt was elected, and you look back at 1901. He came in, and he was hated by the Republican yep. <laughs> establishment, yep. and what did he do, though? He took on the big trusts. He fought for the American people. It seems to me that we need to do the same now and that part of the problem is actually when they silence the president of the united states when they turn off his twitter account everybody recognizes that. But in some ways, it's even more of a threat when they can turn off yours or someone else's or a smaller leader. They can silence American citizens who don't have the voice, who don't have the profile or the megaphone of a president. So it
3: seems to me that people need to band together. And I know that that's what a lot of your group does. Exactly. And yeah. you know the, the solution to bad speech, frankly, and there is a lot of bad yes. speech out there, but the solution to bad speech is not fewer voices. It's more voices. We can always overpower them. Listen, I also, I love the Roosevelt comparison, because if you look at what the internet had become, it was an information Mm -hmm. revolution. Mm -hmm. And we'd been through things like the industrial revolution that posed new challenges. When the industrial revolution happened, we had factories that were polluting our airways, polluting our waterways. They're making people sick. So we had to come up with new solutions like environmental laws to keep people safe. We need to do something like that with big tech and the internet because it's the same type of revolution, except probably little bit more invasive in our lives so we need to look at all these solutions to rein in big tech and make sure that they know that the american people here are in charge not not just you oligarchs in silicon valley that's right and for people to be in charge they need to stand up they need
0: they need to step up that this doesn't work if you're silenced and you go away people need to step up they need to find ways to share information with their friends and neighbors and they need to they need to stay active one of the things that people are concerned about is of course election integrity. Let's talk a little bit about what we need to do
3: moving forward for election reform. So th- this actually ties in with the big tech problem right because we're seeing now that people like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz when they bring up their concerns about election integrity they're now being censored mm-hmm. by big tech mm-hmm. and it's a major threat that we need to address. So. We saw a lot of problems with this past election. And there were some conspiracy theories that weren't that credible, but there were also some very real problems. And what Democrats did over the last two years is they had a very concerted effort. What they wanted to do was expand mail-in balloting Mm -hmm. that was untraceable and and hard to track down. But then they also wanted to decrease the ability to verify that these were real voters voting. Um, And we were unable to stop that. So we need to do whatever we can to address that. And, And you start very small. Requiring a voter ID when you cast your vote, requiring signatures and fingerprints, requiring, uh, you know, getting rid of these drop boxes that they had all right. over Pennsylvania and Georgia. It's small things that actually things that we can all agree on that are 80-20 issues. You know, these are our ballots, right? And and I wouldn't put, you know, uh, we don't put cash in the mail, right? So why would you put a ballot in the mail, which is worth so much more than just cash? It's, it's crazy. Yeah. And I think one
0: of the things that is also true should be able to bring people together is it everyone should agree that we all want to have confidence in our elections, Right. that we all want to have that kind of confidence. Terry, help our viewers mm. understand from your point what's happening in Wyoming. We were talking about this a little bit earlier today. Liz Cheney, she's in the House Republican <laughs> leadership. Yep. She's clearly turned into somebody in D.C. who's fighting for the establishment. She's fighting for lobbyists. She's fighting against the president. And now, we're seeing all of these citizens in Wyoming and other people across around the country standing up
3: saying, we're not going to tolerate this any longer. What's your perspective? So, look, I think the biggest problem with Liz Cheney is that she forgot what her number one duty is as mm. a member of the House of Representatives, which is to represent the people of Wyoming. Yes. It's not, it's not rocket science, right? right. 70% of Wyoming, Wyomians uh, voted for President Trump. Yes. And she just two months later votes to impeach him. Mm -hmm. That's insane. And it's why polling has her reelection score at 13 percent. Only 13 percent of people in Wyoming think that she should be reelected. And she's going to suffer consequences uh, as as a result of all of that. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me now that and this
0: is just one example where you had all of these people who big tech wanted to silence who the left wanted to attack. They wanted to call them names. They wanted to kind of push them to the side and now this is an example and i think what's happening on wall street with gamestop Mm -hmm. and these other stocks where there's a real populist revolt and people are saying you know what this is our country
3: and we're not gonna lay down that's exactly right if you look across the american culture the spectrum All of our elite institutions, it seems, have been taken over and corrupted by progressives. You look at academia and our universities, Hollywood, the news media. There's no uh, institution in our country that we can really trust now. And it's been a core belief of American Principles Project that uh, elections, campaigns and elections are the one area that's still controlled by the people, Mm -hmm. which makes that fight over election integrity that much more important. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And, you know, look... If we can't save our elections, we can't change these other institutions. The left has been using the law and our 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 campaigns and politics to change the other elite institutions in the country. We need to figure out how to save our elections so that we can save our country. Well, and I think that it's absolutely clear that there's a movement building, there's
0: energy building in the country for a revival of the republic. And we should remind people: you're a student of history. We've been through some really hard times before, but we've always been able to. Make it out on the other side if the American people continue to fight for the Constitution, if they continue to fight for their rights. Let all of our viewers
3: know where they can find out more about you and the the American Principles Project. So, we are really excited because we just crossed the 300,000 threshold, which means that we have 300,000 people that have signed up to engage with us over these types of election integrity issues, big tech, and even girls' sports. Uh, We got 69,000 people to sign our Save Girls' Sports petition so I've been telling everyone you know if you want to get engaged with us the first step is to sign one of our petitions and the best one right now is go to protect girls sports.us. it's so important um, and we'll get you right engaged you'll get all of our election alerts and, and everything but it's, it's really important we're at 69 thousand signatures right now I'm trying to get to a hundred thousand
0: and what tell everybody your kind of so- social media coordinates website etc for the American principles project yeah.
3: so across all the social media platforms I'm just shilling 1776 right um, so you can find me anywhere on on Twitter on gab um, on Facebook I'm, I'm all over the place on there um, and our website is AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. Awesome. 30 seconds, what's your message and the message of the American Principles Project to the American people at this moment right now? We are at such a critical time for the American experiment. America was founded as a very special nation that put the people as the center of our country, families, people, everyday people. We didn't install a new king. We didn't install new oligarchs. We wanted to have the American people direct the future of this country. And right now, that's all on the line. If we don't stand up against these guys, it's all gonna be lost. Awesome, well I appreciate
0: you standing up. Folks, (laughs) that's Terry Schilling, he's the president of the American Principles Project. You can check him and his organization out online, and I encourage you to do so. After this, we're coming right back with Elaine Parker. She's the Chief Communications Officer from the Job Creators Network, and we're gonna talk about what's happening to small businesses. We'll be back in a second.
2: Well,
0: welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. This is the show that honors you as a citizen. And so many of you are small business owners or you work in small businesses. We enjoy hearing from you every day. And that's why we are honored right now to be joined by Elaine Parker. She's the Chief Communications Officer of the Job Creators Network. Elaine, thank you so much for joining us tonight.
4: Thanks so much for having me, Eric. It's great to be back.
0: You bet. Elaine, with the Job Creators Network, you guys are in touch with small business owners around the country. Our viewers have heard you before talking about what's facing small business owners. We're a couple days now into the Biden administration. What are you seeing?
4: Yeah, so just a week into the Biden administration, we have seen President Biden take um, direct actions that has affected millions and millions of jobs, put probably 10 million jobs on the chopping block at this point. Um, And that's through canceling the Keystone Pipeline, uh, rejoining the Paris Accord, um, and uh, signing an executive order requiring uh, government contractors to pay their employees a minimum wage of $15 an hour, but then going and slipping it into his uh, COVID stimulus bill Which, frankly, I don't see the connection between a $15 an hour minimum wage and uh, the COVID stimulus that's so needed um, to help get the economy going again. Um, So a lot of things that um, he's doing is, is hurting jobs. And if I had to give an award for the most jobs cut in the first week of an administration, Joe Biden would win it hands down.
0: Yeah, it was really striking to see on his first couple days he comes in and he kills the Keystone XL pipeline permit that you just mentioned. And, you know, it's a tough thing sometimes to analyze the economic impact of certain actions. But what everyone agrees on and everybody knows for sure is that that killed 11,000 good paying jobs in one stroke of the pen. Talk with our viewers a little bit about how these actions though end up reverberating throughout the economy when you wipe out 11,000 good paying jobs.
4: Well first let's start with uh, many of those jobs were union jobs mm-hmm. um, and I would recommend that the person who should lose their job first is the head of the pipe fitters union yep. who represents 350,000 pipe fitter um, employees and workers um, in the union, and in spite of the fact that Joe Biden campaigned on canceling the Keystone Pipeline, right. um, this the president of the uh, Pipefitters Union endorsed Joe Biden all the way through. Um, so he should be first on the chopping block for for sure. But these 11,000 jobs, um, these are direct jobs. The indirect jobs um, of people supporting those, uh, the workers uh, building the pipeline, from restaurant owners to um, you know, tool makers, uh, you name it, uh, pizza makers uh, along the way um, is, is tens of thousands of jobs and economic activity that's just lost. in, like you said, in one stroke of the pen, it, it's amazing to me that coming out of a pandemic, we're on the verge of, of uh, you know, going into a depression, essentially, if we don't get our economy going, and uh, a new president that's come in, is doing everything to cut jobs in his first week of office.
0: Yeah, and I think what's so disturbing to so many people is that he is also coming in, and I want to get your thoughts on on the Paris Accord in, in just a moment. But he comes in and he signs the Paris Accord, but then kills the Keystone XL pipeline. And people are wondering who is he serving? Where are his priorities? Because it certainly seems that he's looking at, you know, at at a a kind of global elite instead of small business owners here in the country who have been suffering so many of them because of the coronavirus and others. And really now, then you have Joe Biden coming in and really hitting them again. Give us your thoughts on what's going to happen now that he's rejoined this Paris Climate Accord.
4: Look, I mean, we, we know that um, the Paris Accord puts six and a half million jobs in jeopardy, yeah. um, that we stand to lose six and a half million jobs over the next um, two decades. Um, and that's substantial. And then when you, when you move to the $15 an hour minimum wage that he slipped into his COVID bill and, of course, signed that executive action, um, the CBO came out with a report in 2019 that said a $15 an hour federal minimum wage could cost this country up to 3.7 million jobs. Wow. So between those two actions, you're talking about 10 million jobs on the top on the chopping block, um, directly impacting you know Americans across the board, and of course small business, which is going to be the driver of this economy. If we can get them the right stimulus and targeted, um, they're dr- they will drive us out of this uh, recession. They were certainly driving the prosperity that we were enjoying for the for the first three years. Um, before the pandemic.
0: Well, and I think that's a really important point is that the prosperity that was brought by the Trump administration was a broad-based prosperity and it was led in many ways by the success of small businesses all across the country. We had the lowest unemployment rate ever recorded. And again, this was brought us for African-Americans, for women, for Asian-Americans. This was broad-based prosperity. Share with our viewers who aren't small business owners, many of them are, they work in small businesses, but share with our viewers the role that small businesses play in the American economy.
4: Well, look, I mean, I I speak all over the country in non-pandemic times. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love to ask audiences, um, how many of you shop at a small business? Mm. How many of you own a small business? How many of you know someone who shops at a small business? By the time I get those through those three questions, the entire audience is raising their hands because we are impacted by small businesses. There's 30 million of them in this country, and they employ 60 million people. They employ half our workforce, and they create two-thirds of all new net jobs That's an incredible impact on our economy. And so what we need to do is take care of those small business owners by making sure that they have the support that they need, not raising their taxes, not implementing regulations um, and wage mandates that's going to hurt them coming out of the pandemic. I mean, we still have states that are shut down um, or very partially open. We're just now getting uh, Governor Newsom and Governor Cuomo to come around and realize that if they don't get their states open, they're not gonna have a state to come back to because they all seem to be moving to Florida and Texas.
0: Yes, well look, at the end of the day, people have to live and you've got all of these small businesses around the country. In New York, we are recently talking about the thousands of restaurants that have closed in New York. So many of them are small businesses. They're family businesses. Some of them have been in families for generations. And one thing, you touched on that I think is so important. I want to talk a little bit about regulations. You know, when I was governor in Missouri, one of the first things that we did was we came in and we slashed regulations that created a burden and weren't adding any value to the people. President Trump came in and he did the same thing and it helped to spur a lot of that job growth. What are you seeing from the Biden administration in terms of the regulatory framework that they're looking at?
4: Look, you know, it's it is very clear that the Biden administration wants to um, reimplement, implement, mm-hmm. stack on top of each other, regulation after regulation. And frankly, the, the deregulation under the Trump administration was the least talked about piece of the economy, right. but probably um, had a, most had much of the rocket fuel that sent this economy soaring. Um, you know, it, when when President Trump was running for office, he promised to to reduce uh, regulations to uh, every for every one he'd reduce two. Um, the last count I saw recently is that he reduced it by eight for every yeah. new regulation. He got rid of eight. Um, and that just unleashes small businesses because yes. they're the chief cook and bottle washer. They don't have floors of lawyers and, and accountants to deal with all the regulations right. that their time sucks. That's what they do. They suck time from small business owners being able to run their business, grow their business, hire new people and, and create, you know, a, a great community. And so what President Trump did was he gave them more time to do all of those things.
0: Yeah, I think that is such an important point, you know, and as a, as a small business owner myself, I will tell you what happens is that big businesses, they might have a giant administrative department, they might hire a giant accounting firm, they might have an entire legal department that can deal with all of these regulations, but really they're anti-competitive, especially for small businesses, because the small business owner, they've got to deal with all of that stuff themselves, and not only does it take time, it often takes the joint out of actually running your, your business. Now, Elaine, one of the things that you, you touched on, which I think is so important, is that you mentioned two-thirds of all new jobs come out of the small business sector. If we're going to fight our way out of this pandemic and get the economy rolling again, how essential are small businesses going to be?
4: I mean, they're absolutely essential. And, and I just want to return to the point you made about the anti-competition on, mm-hmm. the, on the regulations. the regulations. Um, the $15 an hour minimum wage, um, just to give you an example of what's happening out there, yeah. um, Amazon, um, if you remember, raised its minimum wage to $15 an hour, which is fantastic. They took all the, you know, the, some of the profits that they were making, incredible profits that company makes, and they gave it back to their employees through higher wages, not because the government told them to, but because they wanted to, um, as, as a company. And, mm-hmm. and I applaud that. So now they are actually out there advertising in support of a $15 an hour wage mandate in support of what the Biden administration is trying to do. And that is anti-competition because they are a large corporation. They can afford $15 an hour, but that's a barrier. That is a, that is a, a, a problem for small businesses, particularly those who have been hurt in the pandemic, which you cannot say Amazon has been hurt in any way in the, from the pandemic, right. actually probably increased right. their sales. Um, but can you imagine going out and seeing a company advertising for uh, a wage mandate, a regulation that's going to hurt your competition?
0: well, this is this is clearly uh, what they're doing. Elaine, just just fifteen seconds left. Let all of our viewers know where they can get more information about the job creators network and the work that you all do for small businesses.
4: Absolutely. Um, We're a national small business advocacy organization, and we advocate for lower taxes and pro-growth policies for small businesses. And your viewers can go to JobCreatorsNetwork.com, join the organization. There's a lot of opportunity there to work with us.
0: Awesome, folks. That's Elaine Parker, Chief Communications Officer of the Job Creators Network. Stay right with us. We're going to be back with the latest from Wyoming. Well, welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Graytons. Had a lot of talk already on this program about what's been happening to small business owners and also about some of Joe Biden's executive orders. Well, last night on this show, in this hour, we had a special with Heritage Action called Hold the Line. On that program, John Solomon had an opportunity to talk with Senator Ted Cruz about his perspective on some of Joe Biden's executive orders. Have a listen.
5: On the regulatory side, John, what you just asked, you know, last week I I was at the Capitol when when Joe Biden gave his inaugural speech. I just thought it was a pretty good speech. I was very... ...unity, he asked Americans to come together. We need to come together. We are bitterly divided. It's not healthy for this country. But I have to say, he went from giving a speech on unity to the Oval Office where he signed 13 executive orders that basically made a mockery of everything he said about unity just just minutes before. One of those executive orders ended the Keystone Pipeline. Literally with a a stroke of a pen, he he made 11,000 jobs disappear. He just eliminated 11,000 construction jobs, building that pipeline. 8,000 of those jobs were union members whose jobs went away. In this past week, I've asked multiple Biden cabinet appointees, what do you say to those 11,000 workers whose jobs Joe Biden destroyed with a stroke of a pen? And essentially what their answer was, well, they're out of luck. Today, John Kerry did a press conference where he says, well, they need to make better choices. You know, I don't think the American people need rich, out-of-touch Democrats lecturing them that their job, their livelihood is going to be obliterated. And if they would just listen to their intellectual and moral betters in the Democratic Party, they would choose to to do something different with their lives. I I think that kind of condescension to working men and women, it it certainly doesn't augur well for what the next couple of years are going to hold.
0: Again, that was John Solomon talking with Senator Ted Cruz about Joe Biden stepping into office and with the stroke of his pen wiping out 11,000 jobs, and, as we talked about with Elaine Parker, that's going to affect a lot more families around the country. One of the other big things that was happening was out in Wyoming. Liz Cheney, you'll remember, a member of the House Republican leadership from the state of Wyoming, where there's tremendous support for President Trump, but she turned on the president and actually led the fight to impeach the president. Well, earlier, Real America's Voice correspondent, Jessica Rivera, she spoke with Florida Congressman, Matt Gates, who's on the ground in Cheyenne, Wyoming, talking with citizens of that state about Liz Cheney. Have a listen.
2: Well, first of all, thank you so much for giving us your time today. I know you're really busy, but if you can explain to our viewers, why are you out here today in Wyoming, specifically at the Capitol here in Cheyenne?
6: We need to beat Liz Cheney in the upcoming election because we need to defeat the America last policies that Liz Cheney supports. I don't mind telling you, in Washington right now, we're sort of in an identity crisis in the Republican Party. There are those like me who want to remain faithful and loyal to the America First policy portfolio. And then you have kind of the establishment crowd with Liz Cheney and Mitch McConnell and Mitt Romney that want to revert back to kind of a late 90s, early 2000s version of republicanism. I don't wanna fight that battle inside the eight square miles of Washington, D.C. I wanna go out into the country and inspire patriots to recruit better candidates, to back the policies of President Trump, and to be worthy of winning again.
2: And I know you were invited out here from uh, freshman representative Ocean Andrew, Uh, he is new to the House, uh, and we know that Cheney is the third as far as Republican in power there in the House. How do you think, I mean she's pretty high up there, and so for people who think this is kind of a losing battle, what do you foresee happening? Do you foresee this gaining momentum and something actually coming out of this, more people coming on board, or what do you guys foresee?
6: I reject the notion that winning elections among politicians in Washington DC is what makes you powerful. That's just what those people think. Out in the rest of the country, power is the ability to marshal positive populist energy toward the goals that we want to see in America. For me, that means reducing our involvement in these forever wars in Arabia, it means reducing illegal immigration, and it means having better trade deals that benefit our country and that don't benefit other countries at our expense. Pretty simple, pretty easy, and President Trump proved that it works. But Liz Cheney uh, is the masthead for the ideas that are the wrong ones for the Republican Party, and that's why I'm fighting to see that she is not reelected.
2: Now over by the Capitol we saw lots of people out there with different signs of course many impeach Liz Cheneys but we also saw a lot of signs of you know they need to get that we need to get rid of Trumpism What do you say to those people who feel that uh, people who supported President Trump, are kind of in this fog and delusional state, Um, especially those who are in Congress who do support him, which right now we know there's not very many. But um, what do you say to those people who say Trumpism needs to go away?
6: Well, I saw Trumpism alive and well with hundreds of enthusiastic Americans at the state Capitol steps in Cheyenne, Wyoming of all places. That's a really big crowd for anywhere. It is especially a large crowd for Cheyenne, Wyoming. You're right that there are some establishment politicians that want to purge Trumpism from our party, but that is not going to happen because the base of our party has been realigned to adopt these principles and policies that the president proved could improve the lives of the people in our country.
2: And when it comes to the GOP, the establishment in Congress in D.C., what is it that they are so? Holding like such a strong stance on, instead of coming together to get some sort of um, agreement between their, you know, fellow GOPers, uh, what is it that they're just standing so steadily hard on that they just do not want to budge?
6: It's the money. I mean, I-, I could give you a lot of different answers, but I'll just level with you: it's the money. Political action committee money runs Washington D.C. And we've seen a lot of these, like, woke-topian corporations swear off donations to Republicans. Now, I think we ought to say good riddance. I think we ought to say if the Democrats want to be the party of big business, we'll be the party of the working men and women of this country. But instead, the leadership of our party, they just want to know, what do we have to do to get back in the good graces of the big corporations? Who do we have to purge? Who do we have to malign? What views do we need to change away from Trump's America First agenda? And so I want to be a bulwark against that. Uh, I was the first Republican to swear off political action committee funds in this last election cycle. I'm the only Republican who doesn't take any PAC money. I think the future for our party is not one of bended knee to the corporation saying, pretty please give me more cash. The future is by inspiring the people. And I think we saw a good amount of that out here in Cheyenne.
2: And really quickly, last question, when we were coming up here, a lady here from Wyoming says, uh, we don't understand why people are coming into our state and fiddling, you know, getting in interfering in our own uh, politics here on a state level. What do you say to people that that believe that you're coming in here kind of intruding instead of just kind of taking care of your own state?
6: Well. I didn't come here of my own volition. I was quite literally invited by Republican leaders in the state legislature in Wyoming because they wanted to hear a vision for America that is a competing vision to that of Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney is less popular among Republicans in Wyoming than Muammar Gaddafi was among Libyans when he was removed. Now, I don't think Liz Cheney should meet the same fate, obviously, but I do think she should lose an election. and. The disappointment in establishment Republicans really crosses state lines. Uh, if Liz didn't want to be the subject of national focus with her betrayal of her own people and President Trump, then she should not have sought national prominence by running for the position of conference chair. Well,
0: that was Jessica Rivera, Real America's Voice correspondent out in Wyoming on the ground with Florida Congressman Matt Gates, who is part of this group of citizens, most of them from Wyoming, but as you saw with Congressman Gates, people coming from around the country saying that they don't want Liz Cheney in Republican leadership. She's the sole congressperson from the state of Wyoming and many people in Wyoming are asking for Liz Cheney to resign. You heard earlier on the program Stephen K Banning giving his analysis of this moment in American history, and we've seen it throughout today's program as we've been talking about how people around the country are standing up against big tech, standing up against big corporations, citizens, small business owners, families all standing up to fight for the American dream and to fight for their rights. Well, it's been an honor to have you with us tonight on Actionable Intelligence. Stay right with us because right after the break, Dr. Gina has a great show planned for you here at Real America's Voice. You're going to want
5: to enjoy it. Thanks for watching and have a great night.